The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. You know, to go from demigod to dust bunny is yeah. quite the fall. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that should have been the name of book six. <laughs> Demigod to Dust Bunny. Yes, yes. Ashes to Ashes, Demigods to Dust Bunnies. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Lord of the Rings book six. This is the Legendarium podcast, and we're going to be covering the final leg of the journey here. Lord of the Rings book six, one of my favorite things Ever. I, I think I said this about every single book so far. Anyway, <laughs> I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, she's like the scouring of the Shire. There are some who appreciate her, but she really just confuses a lot of people. It's Megan Smythe. It's true. I need a Sam to come and straighten me out. <laughs> and if Shelob had a baby with an orc, they would scare their eight-limbed monstrosity of a child with bedtime stories about him. It's Ryan Bruckman. That's solid. I'm, I like that. I'm yeah. a runner of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we we were teased. We uh, we had a tease that Kyle was going to show up today. I had an insult already for him, but it turns out he couldn't make it. So she just insult him anyway. Uh, I I mean I will, but just not here, <laughs> not here. So as we get started, I do want to remind everybody: Patreon.com/slash/Legendarium is where you can go to support the show if you enjoy what we do, and if you've hung with us for these six Lord of the Rings episodes. Um, I, I assume that you are enjoying this. And so if it is enough, uh, we'd love to see you on Patreon, kick in uh, a buck an episode for a little while and show your appreciation. That'd be uh, very, very kind of you. If you can do so. I know things are a little bit up in the air still. I mean, if you're listening three years from now, then hey, maybe the economy's awesome again. But who knows? Well, perhaps now Patreon is the main, or it's all a Bitcoin currency <laughs> yeah, exactly. at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Get off of your uh, you're eating the dog on the side of the road, and just just stop that and join us on Patreon. Um, you know, quit that roving band of whatever marauders. the Mad Max version of podcasting is. That's where we'll be and exactly. support us that that way. Uh, and also, <laughs> that's I don't know why giant you... speakers would be totally different if he's just blaring a podcast <laughs> instead. Gosh, that would be amazing. I don't know why you would now, but you can go to Discord and join the conversation. <laughs> uh, we are on Discord. You can find the link to Discord. I think I've pinned it on our Twitter profile and on uh, Reddit. So reddit.com, or I should say thelegendarium.reddit.com is where you can find that. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about Lord of the Rings book six. Would you guys care for a recap? Oh, good. Yes. Only if it's in... Poetry form, my good man. <laughs> a verse recap. All right, this is the final. I I did it. Aww. I did it for all six episodes. I'm really excited that I followed through on this. You've grown as a person. This one, similarly, uh, book six is the shortest book in uh, in the Lord of the Rings, and this is the shortest poem, so it's only four uh, stanzas. Here we go. Frodo's lost, but Sam's in no pickle. He's not feeling the least bit fickle. He'll use sting like an orc next trickle, or at least give one or two a little tickle. So he rescues Frodo and returns the ring, and they set off again that ring to bring to Samoth Naur, whence came the bling, if they can avoid the gaze of Mordor's king. They arrive at last at the cracks of doom, and Gollum emerges as if from the tomb. He grabs the ring, then runs out of room, slips, and with a boom, doom sends up a plume. The day is saved, and at Cormalan the friends unite again and have a coronation to attend. Aragorn is crowned, the lands to mend, and now the story can end and end 
and end and end. <laughs> nice. There you go. Now yeah. we need to go through every episode, combine all of them, and sell a small Dr. Seuss-esque book of <laughs> Professor Craig reads Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I, maybe I'll, Lord of the Rings. I'll make a YouTube video out of it or something. Um, I, will, I will have people know that for, I, I think, three or four out of the previous five poems that I did, Ryan just kind of like was reading his phone most of the time and wasn't really paying attention. I actually got his attention this time. I saw you crack a smile. Yeah. So I consider that a success. The rhyming scheme was a lot easier for me this time. So <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, that's where we're at. It's the final book. We'll have plenty of Discord comments to get to, but I figure we can kind of start with, uh, we're going to ease into the conversation here and, and I'll just uh, kick it to you, Megan, first. How did it go? How was book six? I love this book. It's so good. It just this it is wraps your it all up so nicely. Second time through? Fourth. Four. Oh, okay. I, I haven't few. read it though since the movies came out. Oh, okay. So that's what, 18 years? Ooh, a hot minute. I can't do maths. Whenever that was. Um I so it was just really nice to get back to it and it just makes me so happy that it ends so well and to get the characters a lot more fleshed out than they are in the movies, which are excellent films, but also they're made a book uh, they made films out of this book for a reason yeah yeah so, yeah it just makes me happy ryan second time through i know that's true for mm -hmm. you yes. how'd, it, how'd it go i i enjoyed the end uh this time even more so uh did you feel like you were more ready for it to continue yes. ending yes uh specifically being aware that oh yeah we've got a lot to go through here in yeah. terms of, of additional pieces mm -hmm. but as a whole a lot of times you get the end of an of, of an epic fantasy tale and you're kind of just done you're ready like it's not necessarily dissatisfaction or anything but you've you're just you're worn out and everything yeah. and you're done with it and this time going through we get to the, the end of this one and i'm not feeling that so much i'm not i'm not like okay i'm ready to be out of middle earth i i mm -hmm. was more willing to spend time thinking about what was going on versus chucking frodo onto the boat and pushing him off you know to sail off for to the end yeah yeah so yeah. I also took a little more time to try and think about and, and look into what other people have said about what a lot of this, the endings mean or what the what they can represent and try and be a little more deep about it than just the narrative structure of it. And I'll tell you, I probably failed miserably, but, <laughs> but at I least was impressed. Trying to be a little more thoughtful about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, let's let's riff on that for just a moment. I'm I'm not taking this chronologically. We're not going to move through the story chronologically. We're going to skip around. Right. Um, and so I am going to actually go straight to a Discord comment. Um, Emperor Claptrap, which is a hilarious mm -hmm. name, by the way, <laughs> says, Lord of the Rings is well known for having many endings. Which is your favorite ending and why? And uh, helpfully, Emperor Claptrap lists five endings. <laughs> Mount Doom and the Destruction of the Ring, Aragorn's Coronation and Wedding to Arwen, Rivendell, uh, where they meet up with Bilbo oh. again, the Scouring of the Shire, and the Grey Havens. So which is your favorite ending and why? I guess I haven't really said much yet except my poetry. So um, I am definitely going with Aragorn's Coronation on this one, mm -hmm. and I will have so much to say about that in a few minutes. But for me, Aragorn's Coronation. Megan? Uh, I think for me it has to be the Scouring of the Shire because we, start, we started off book one with a hundred pages of the hobbits and hobbiton and how idyllic this world was. And they just thought they were going to leave and come back and it was going to be the same. And, um, I, it's, it's fun to see the scouring of the Shire and the way that the hobbits have all grown and the, 
I want to say men, the hobbits they have become, yeah. um, where they are leaders and they basically clean everything up really quickly, um, <laughs> in spite of the fact that it's took such a long time to deteriorate. That's my favorite. Well, and interestingly, it didn't take that long. No. They've been gone a year. I think yeah. it's, what, 13 months? Well, I haven't looked at the calendar it recently. It might have been but... less than that because somebody makes a comment about how the Dunedain leave and that's about when, when Sharky and yeah. Worm Tongue show up and start really screwing everything up. But yeah, it happens quickly where they just cut down all the trees and throw up ugly houses. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go back and look at exactly when it was. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is amazing if you're... Uh, if you're not careful, if you're not vigilant, how quickly change can come, mm -hmm. you know, well, one way or another, good yeah. or bad. And okay, Ryan, yeah. favorite ending? I have to agree with Megan on the scouring of the Shire, not necessarily because the events of the, sh like the events of scouring the Shire are amazing, but it is, it is the, the growth and the showcase of change mm -hmm. in the Hobbits as they return. Uh, that really to me is where I feel as I'm reading, this is the conclusion point for me, we see the full arc, you know, they they leave from the Shire, they come back to the Shire, and you you get it a little bit, you get it more so with Frodo later on, the the sense of when you grow bigger than the adventure. Mm -hmm. um, I actually just finished Chronicles of Perdane, the uh, first book with my son, oh. and one of the last things in there is he talks about how he feels, uh, Taron feels that his room is smaller, that Cara Dalbin is smaller, and with, I feel like that's, if we spent a lot of time in the Shire, Frodo and, would feel that way. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that all the hobbits kind of have a different perspective on it. Sam is completely okay going back oh, yeah. and becoming, you know, having uh, a daughter there and returning to life in the Shire. But Frodo is exhausted and he's been changed too much to stay and everything here. So that even even trying to return to normal, that there is no normal anymore. Mm -hmm. like, I, I feel like when it comes full circle in the story is in that moment after the scouring of the Shire, even more so than the ring being destroyed or, or the coronation, which are all both great moments and beautiful moments this is where to me we finish the story it completely yeah um so let me wax a bit lyrical about aragorn's coronation okay. uh because as i was preparing for this episode um you know i'd, I'd read the i'd read book six and loved it loved everything about it and then i went back through just today to collect a few notes and make sure that i was prepared for the episode and I was leafing through and got to the coronation scene and something jumped out to me that, you know, I've read this book, I don't know, 20 times and you, something new jumps out all the mm -hmm. time, right? You're always going to find new things. Um, and this one was, uh, was really touching, like Todd level touching. You oh. Know? Yeah, no, seriously. I went in the house and was talking to my wife about it and I was like, I just have to tell you about what I found and I'm like weeping and it was uh, it was a real moment. Uh, anyway, so I promise I'm getting to the whole coronation scene, but I'm going to actually rewind to the house of Tom Bombadil, which we didn't talk about a whole lot on this time through because uh, obviously six episodes, we're not going to dive into a whole ton of detail. Mm -hmm. But if you recall in the house of Tom Bombadil, all of the hobbits have dreams. And those dreams are described as they're falling asleep and, you know, get a paragraph about all their dreams. Uh, and then at the beginning, this is the first paragraph of chapter eight, as they're preparing to leave Tom Bombadil's house. Um, eh, that night they heard no noises, but either in his dreams or out of them, he could not tell which, 
Frodo heard a sweet singing running in his mind, a song that seemed to come like a pale light behind a gray rain curtain, and growing stronger to turn the veil all to glass and silver until at last it was rolled back and a far green country opened before him under a swift sunrise. So you'll... Sorry, that was a weird read. I stumbled through a bit there, but you might recognize this from the movies. This is given to Gandalf when he's talking to Pippin in The Return of the King and talks about what death is like. Mm -hmm. um, he talks about the far green country under a swift sunrise and that is, it comes up again when Frodo leaves in the Grey Havens the, at the very bitter end. He gets on the ship and he sees this again. It reminds him of his time in the house of Tom Bombadil mm -hmm. and that dream that he had. And he remarks on that. So he's he's going to that great green country under the swift sunrise. Anyway, so with that in mind, we know that that is, it symbolizes death, right? His leaving on the ship. Um, and so this great green country, the far green country is heaven, right? He's going to heaven, whatever. Okay, so now keep that in mind as we... Uh, are, are, as we're getting to the field of Cormalin. The field of Cormalin is where the, the coronation takes place. Gandalf comes and he get, gets the hobbit, gets dressed, and there's a really nice touching moment where they say, what are we going to wear? He says, the orc rags that you wore in Mordor because nothing could bring you more honor than those. You know, mm -hmm. just don't worry about it. Just get dressed and let's go. Um, and then they go into the woods. As they came to the opening in the wood, they were surprised to see knights in bright mail and tall guards in silver and black standing there who greeted them with honor and bowed before them. And then one blew a long trumpet and they went on through the Isle of Trees beside the singing stream. So they came to a wide green land and beyond it was a broad river in a silver haze out of which rose a long wooded isle and many ships lay by its shores. <clears throat> but on the field where they now stood, a great host was drawn up in ranks and companies glittering in the sun. And as the hobbits approached, swords were unsheathed and spears were shaken and horns and trumpets sang and men cried with many voices and in many tongues, long live the halflings, praise them with great praise. And I lost my sh <laughs> <laughs> So... First of all, it's a, it's a wonderfully touching moment, but the reason that I lost it is I finally understood, and I, I kind of remarked on this on, on Twitter today, uh, I finally understood what Tolkien meant by eucatastrophe. Okay, so I'm not a Catholic, but I think I can understand where he was coming from as, as a Catholic. So, uh, so let me try to get into Tolkien's mindset a little bit here um, and make the point in a, a religious way. So... He has this concept called eucatastrophe, right? We've talked about this, I think, even on in this series mm -hmm. before, right? The sudden turning from bad to good. Okay, so the opposite of a catastrophe. Uh, so a eucatastrophe, the sudden turning of bad to good. He, in a letter, talked about the field of Cormalin, the, the coronation scene being that eucatastrophe in The Lord of the Rings. And this always confused me a little bit. I, I was like, well... You know, the ring went in the fire. That's the moment, right? When things turned. And he says, no, that's not it. It's the field of Cormalin. And it's because that scene when the hobbits enter the wood is even, even more than the other two moments when we get that far green country. This is Tolkien's notion of death and entering the kingdom of heaven. Or I should say the kingdom of God if I'm going Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. So he's, you're entering the kingdom of God and the host's blow their trumpets and sing your praises. You have made it. 
So the ring can symbolize all sorts of things, right? We, we have all, all sorts of conceptions of what it is. Is it addiction? Is it this or that or whatever? In the end, it might just be life. Yeah. And you've, you have completed your task and now you're greeted by the hosts of heaven. Okay. And so in Tolkien's mind, this is why that scene is the eucatastrophe. So as a Catholic, he believes in the, uh, he believes in the atonement of Christ and how Christ allows all sinners to come back to God. Right. And so this is what that moment symbolizes is that returning to the King to be greeted by the hosts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's all these things wrapped up into one in a beautifully written scene mm -hmm. in which they're, they're sung to in Elvish and English and, well, Western, I suppose. <laughs> uh, they're, they're sung to and they're honored. Aragorn gets down on his knee and, and has everyone in the, in the field uh, praise them. And, oh, my gosh, I just... Oh... I had, a, I had a rough time this afternoon with that one, you guys. And I love finding new things like that. So it's, I think it's a beautiful moment. I, I, don't, um, I don't share uh, his Catholic background, but I do think that that adds a little bit of, uh, uh, of weight and color to the scene to know where he was coming from as he wrote it. Yeah, and I, to, to finally understand why he said that that was the eucatastrophe. That, that really just turns that whole scene just up to 11 in my mind right now. That's, this one goes to 11? Yes, this one goes to 11. Um, and now I'm going to be, I'm for the rest of the evening, I'm going to be sitting here comparing like the ring to life and all, I know. The, all these different things. I'm like, wow, there's, there's a whole new set of things to think about now. Yeah. But we got to record the rest of the episode first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will, uh, if it's okay, I'll read one more paragraph from that section just because it's one of those moments when it's like, there are people out there who say, oh, Tolkien was a, a, a good storyteller, but he wasn't a very good writer because uh, they never made it to something like this. Yeah, I um, disagree. This is when the uh, the minstrel starts singing the song of oh, Frodo yeah. and the Nine Fingers. Uh, Sam says, oh, great glory and splendor and all my wishes have come true. And then he wept and all the host laughed and wept. And in the midst of their merriment and tears, the clear voice of the minstrel rose like silver and gold and all men were hushed. And he sang to them, now in the elven tongue, now in the speech of the West, until their hearts, wounded with sweet words, overflowed, and their joy was like swords. And they passed in thought out to regions where pain and delight flow together, and tears are the very wine of blessedness. Oh, man. Get out of here with your so Tolkien cool. can't write. Oh, just delightful. Okay, sorry. That was about eight solid minutes of me talking about uh, eucatastrophe, et cetera. So somebody Professor else say Craig, something. Professor Craig, always welcome. I, was that Professor Craig? I, I don't know. More like that was uh, like Sunday school teacher Craig or something. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, Professor Craig in Sunday school, kind of, <laughs> kind of some sort of blending there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. So let's <laughs> let's move on. Actually, I will. Let's stick with the ending a little bit. We had the question. The whole thing that brought this up was, um, what oh, yeah. what what's your favorite ending, right? Uh, but the uh, a question that goes along with that comes from Ashaman, who says, George Martin has said that Lord of the Rings has the perfect ending. Do you agree or disagree? Are bittersweet endings usually the best? Um, yeah. How do, you, how do you feel about it right now? My inclination would be, to, are bittersweet endings the best? No. They're not necessarily in and of themselves. They have to be earned and have to make sense. Right. 
I, it's, it's the best ending for this story, maybe? Yeah, yes. I, I do think that's the case uh, here because, like I said earlier, with each of the hobbits kind of showcasing a different, some, t uh, taking something different from their journey and seeing uh, Frodo and Bilbo, Gandalf, like dealing with everybody sailing off to the West. Like, mm -hmm. I think they can't stay and have and their and not and have their journey mean as much if that makes any sense at all like the the tax that has been laid on them in all of the work they've had to do is so great that as much as you would love for them to have normal life it's just not it's not a realistic or feasible thing and so i love the beauty of of not the easy way out and i and i for, forgive me for saying it's the easy way out but in modern and current fantasy is to kill them off and send them on and mm -hmm. you know the final great sacrifice and let them die and right. leave them dead yep like that's the this is to me a good middle ground of it's a happy ending like you said it's bittersweet but it is happy and you can accept this without feeling like a great a greater sense of loss than you've already felt in the story if that makes yeah. sense okay megan do you have thoughts on that one um what i found fascinating through this read was um <laughs> all of the points that Tolkien decided to go back and he's like oh we need to we need to clean up this and we need to clean up this loose end one of my favorites is uh Aomer takes Gimli aside after he has met Arwen and um Galadriel and says okay you had kind of a beef with me because I said some stuff about Galadriel that wasn't very nice and I promised like when I saw her <laughs> if yeah. I disagreed that she was the most beautiful woman that we'd go have a big battle um and, you know, ends up saying, you choose the sun, but I think Arwen's cuter. So, you know, like, <laughs> yes, cuter. where it's, yeah. you oh, know, she's it just, cute. <laughs> she's adorable. <laughs> Soup's adorbs. Um, wow. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. And uh, he just, he, Faramir finds somebody that he can love and who will love and appreciate him. And Eowyn is able to have, like, you know, he just, he finds like all, he ties up as many loose ends as possible. And yet when I get to the end of the book, I still feel like these people have lives to live and there's still something to do. Like it isn't just, and they got married and they lived happily ever after. Well, sure they did, but they still had a lot of work. Like they still had to um, clean up everything with Sarwan because that kind of garbage that he's just been polluting with the world yeah, doesn't yeah. necessarily go away in a day. Right. Um by the and, way, I am calling him Sarwan from now on. <laughs> Sarwan. Oh, no. Is that what I said? <laughs> it's fine. Ugh. Okay. Um, Be on the lookout. You make fun of something I say later in the episode. That's fine. Yay! Okay. I'll forget. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I, but I, I love that the very last line is um, Sam says goodbye to Frodo. He and mm -hmm. Merry and Pippin say goodbye. And even then, like... Mary and Pippin are there with him, but Sam gets home and his last line is, well, I'm home. Like, Well, I'm back. Well, I'm back. Which I, I only correct you because I love that um, the title of The Hobbit is or there and back again. Yeah. And this and it turns out, you know, whoever it is, I don't, Sam, I guess, was the hero all along. I'm back. Yeah. yeah. Or at least he's the one that gets to have the normal life and really enjoy and appreciate the world that they not created, but the world that they were defending yeah. and the world that they hoped would be. That is a really 
beautiful point in this book here, in the, in the story as a whole, but talking about this ending and the people who kind of sail on is that often those who pay the price don't get to enjoy the world that they saved. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the world is changing. The world is, there's things going on, but Frodo's not going to see the much further, the fruits of his efforts than what he sees on his journey home. Mm-hmm. You know, Gandalf and all his works, everyone here, they're not going to see that, but they know that they're going, that, Others are going to be able to enjoy this coming age of men that I think Gandalf talks about that where this next age will be the age of men led by mm-hmm. uh, Aragorn and Eomir and things like that. So I, it, it caught me a little off, not off guard, but it just really stood out to me this time that often those who pay the price don't get the chance to see the fruits of their labors yeah. in a piece like this. So let's go, I, I want to continue on with this question of whether this is the perfect ending, right? And I want to rewind just a little bit to... Can I just make a comment? Oh, boy. George R. R. Martin commenting on perfect endings is just makes me angry. <laughs> continue what you are going to say. Yeah, That's I, all I, I have to say about I, that. I just did, I didn't want to jump into the snake pit, so I wasn't going to comment on that. But all right, so Megan's done it. Now you can all abuse me you on can, Twitter. That's uh, fine. Uh, thanks, Megan. Thanks for taking one for me. <laughs> uh, all right. So rewind a little bit. Perfect ending to Samoth Naur, the cracks of doom, mm-hmm. right? And the ending that we've all been building toward is Frodo throwing the ring in the fire. And he doesn't do that. He claims the ring for his own. Uh, Gollum takes it from him by biting his finger off and then falls into the fire that's how the ring gets destroyed. Not everybody's favorite turn of events. Um, And I'm curious about your thoughts, both of you, about why Tolkien had not... I I don't want necessarily even... Well, no, I I won't put it that way. Why did Tolkien write it this way? Not why did Frodo do it. I mean, we can use that, get into it a little bit, but why did Tolkien write it this way? And why... Yeah, why why did why did it have to be destroyed as if by accident or uh, as if by chance I think he would have written throughout the book. I almost I almost view it more as a hand of providence. Hand of providence. Yeah. Yeah. Because and I I feel very unworthy to be trotting the ground of trying to figure out what Professor Tolkien was <laughs> thinking yes. on something like this, but I look at this and I look at the journey that Frodo's been on and he is, before even getting into Mount Doom there, Sam has had to carry him because he has physically collapsed Mm -hmm. from the weight of carrying the ring and just the toll that this has taken on him. And to get then that moment, if, if Frodo had thrown the ring in, we would cheer and we would be excited and we would all think that it's great. But there's an added level of the weight of the evil that he has carried is so much that it can overtake you, but you can still come out of the other side of it. Uh, that it, to me is beautiful that it may take an act outside of yourself to help you get there. And this is part of the reason why your whole discussion about like the ring is life and everything. I'm like, well, if the ring is life and if we had to choose <laughs> to give it up, would I like, would I want to give up life or anything like that? No, someone would have to take it from me. You know, some golem would have to come through and force death upon me to take my life from me. Like that's the sort of thing that's running through my head right now. So to me that is it 
the most beautiful, perfect, that nothing else could be there? No, Frodo could have thrown it in and I'd be okay. But the hand of providence coming through and using a tool of a creature, of another creature who has been broken by this as the way that it is destroyed, to me is is maybe a little bit of saying, you need more than just you to get to yeah. get it there. Yep. Oh, you nailed it. Nailed it. Megan, you want to follow that up? Not particularly, yeah, no. Me neither. No, that was really, really lovely. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> it would you, in your opinion, gosh, I stumbled into this, uh, th- this phrase here. In your opinion, would the power of the ring have been diminished if at the end of the story, Frodo is just like, yeah, get rid of this thing and chucks it in the fire or whatever? Like, is is that our in-world explanation? With the verbiage you just said? Yeah, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Can't wait to get rid of this thing. Been waiting for so long. Yeah. Well, it is kind of cool the way it, it is written. It gives a certain amount of... I want to say poetry, and that's not the right word. But the the journey of the ring as we know it began with Bilbo and Gollum. Yeah. And so to have Gollum be the one who ultimately destroys the ring whether accidentally or not, is it, like that's when we met the ring, it was with Gollum. When it's destroyed, it's with Gollum. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That just makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, ready for more symbolism? Mm-hmm. Again, not allegory uh, because Tolkien issued allegory as we know, but I think it's okay to see some symbolism in, in certain things. Um, if, if the ring represents life as a whole like not a specific thing but this this is life as we're living it and it's difficult and it's heavy and we're exhausted by the end of it etc cetera, etc cetera. the ring is life uh you might or uh, okay let me let me go a little further with that and say that when we're through with that we are accepted into the field of Cormalin, right the hosts of heaven welcome us home and there's the king etc etc if that's the case, then the ring could easily be said to be worldliness. And, you know, it is it is this life. I want, you know, Gollum wants this thing that represents, you know, potentially worldliness. Uh, and by clinging to that, by seeking it for his entire life, and then finally at the very end, committing an act of violence again to get it back and... Uh, you know, tripping and falling into the fire. Where does he fall? He falls into hell and burns to freaking death. Oh. Right? Um, by clinging to this world instead of seeking out something higher. So again, reaching into hmm. potentially, you know, the Catholicism that, that I keep referencing, possibly there's some symbolism there to dig into. It would be interesting. I, when you start thinking through some of those things, uh, you start getting nervous, punching holes into stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I sit there and I envision like Mountain Doom's response when the ring, when it finally, the ring hits and is is finally destroyed and it, it gives up and it cannot, it can no longer uh, fight to stay alive, which, because I think the ring, like the sentience yeah. of the ring oh, is yeah. fighting to stay alive every moment that it can. And then we see Mountain Doom shudder and everything start falling apart, the the, the earth trembling as this evil is finally destroyed this is there i i don't know what that means in terms of the symbolism but i remember just going through it and uh it's it's funny how often in fantasy literature especially 
the earth responds to something being something of great evil being destroyed something of great good being born like the natural response of, of a world to right. those events yeah and it just it stood out to me here like the the ring and mountain dooms and everything of the response of, of the earth itself to to the destruction and what that would mean inside of the context of what we're talking about with the ring you know as life or worldliness or whatever what would that what could what that, that symbolize mean? so enjoy thinking on that because i'm not going to try and pontificate on it any further than this because i haven't thought it out enough yeah, to talk about it yep. that's definitely one i would want to yep. think about before i tried well and even then we we do get one of our very brief glimpse very few brief glimpses into sauron where when sauron <laughs> i can't say it anymore <laughs> uh where Frodo, when Frodo claims the ring, Sauron immediately feels it and has this moment of horror realizing I've been focusing on the wrong thing and the ring is actually in my backyard and it's right there and I missed it and and Sauron is destroyed. What? <laughs> Sorry, you lost me. Okay, anyway. Uh, uh, so the visual of that just really threw me like Sauron's at a backyard barbecue or something exactly. and all like Frodo's back by the grill going I don't want to throw it in and he's like well what? this was fun I'm going home <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry Megan I'm sorry <laughs> I can dish it out but I can't take it apparently okay can uh, I dish it out no <laughs> I, I was like have you no. uh, okay so I do want to throw it to you guys there's a there's at least one or two more uh, discord points to go over but I wanted to throw it to you if you have any notes uh, things that you want to talk about that we haven't hit on yet Megan, you look like you're looking through your notes. Ryan, do you have anything off the top of your head? Um, I know having perused the the Discord, uh, they will probably address some of this, but I really appreciate the the finishing arc of Sam and Frodo's relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, boy. That begins in Kirith uh, and his Sam's ability to overcome these obstacles based solely on his love for Frodo. Yeah. Like, it's... I appreciate being able to read that in literature. And I know that people want us to discuss some other aspects of it, but I think that the, it is incredibly valuable to have it in this literature, and I wish we could see it more. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, there was a, a comment on our Discord. I don't know if you saw it, Megan. I'm not going to mention who said it because I, I don't want to give that person a shout out. Uh, because either way, whether it was meant sincerely or jokingly, I think it's stupid. Do you feel as though Sam and Frodo's intimate relationship could have been taken to the next level in, she in Shelob's lair? I felt as though they could have become more than master and servant, possibly lovers. Thoughts? Probably a joke. But, okay, let's... I, I hate this. I hate it. Um, and, uh, okay, so I'll read the follow-up. This is from Fel Knight, who says, To riff off of the above question, has the concept of love between two men been corrupted to the point where one can only be gay in that situation was tolkien trying to evoke a romantic relationship or have we as a society lost the possibility of a platonic love that is every bit as strong as a sexual one um and yeah exactly so i'm with you ryan this is it's such a wonderful thing to read it's such a powerful thing to read and if if that person was serious if they're saying oh yeah i would have loved to seen him take it to the next level then you clearly don't understand what friendship actually means it's lost on a person like that or on the flip side if that person was joking and that comment was just a joke then it, that's not i really hated that comment so what i wish Sorry. i wish that i 
Um, I wish that we had somebody here who had served in the armed forces or like who had been in mm, yeah. a situation like this where you are literally life or death taking care of your platoon or your buddy. I, I watched um, Band of Brothers earlier yeah. this week because Memorial Day uh, in the States. And um, and I look at the way that these men, like they're together for three years in this film that I watched. Um, but they're together for three years and they just really have each other's back and they really take care of each other. And I think that is more of what Tolkien is yeah. trying, Tolkien is trying to convey here is these two people who have just been literally, if we're going through the, we're like through hell and back. Right. Um, and what that can mean where they are so close that literally Frodo's like, well, you and Rosie are going to come and live with me. Was that not clear? Like, obviously we're going to take care of each other for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, that's that's more of what I get there. I generally I echo the words of Neil Gaiman uh, when it comes to. Oh, I thought you were just going to stop there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, when it comes to uh, readers and literature and relationships and things like that, uh, he says your head canon is your head canon, um, but I like he will not dictate out what certain relationships are. Specifically, when it came to Good Omens, he was speaking a lot oh, about yeah. these things. Um, I think that I, I agree with you, Craig, in the sense that the the greater story of the love between these two is is off is could easily be misconstrued, and if that's what you're taking from it, I think you might have missed some pieces of the story. But if you want that as headcanon, just don't try and make it headcanon for everybody. Like yeah. that's your headcanon. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Okay. I kind of want to move on from that. Uh, other than to just say, if this is a concept that someone struggles with, then, the, how, how do I put this? There are a lot of things in this life that we can get good at and not all of them. We can't get good at everything, but there are some that are essential. One of them is learning how to be a friend. Mm -hmm. And if you, if your concept of friendship doesn't get beyond, um, you know, uh, making fun of your buddies and playing video games if you can't actually be a friend to someone without uh you know some sort of romantic or sexual uh connotation coming up you don't understand friendship and you need to get better at it yeah get good at it so and if you need a first step go pick up your friend put him on your shoulders and hike up the side of a mountain <laughs> and start there just carry a like a he doesn't need to know why just pick him up <laughs> him or her whatever just start hiking up a mountain with his shoulders and see how they react that put a bluetooth terrifying. speaker in your pocket and the music swells <laughs> uh okay all right so let's go to megan's notes no I, okay you look like you no, had something you were ready to say these are mostly things that just they, fill out what you all okay. have been talking about. Well, then so let's like go. It. Let's go to the last Discord comment, and then I've got uh, at least one more thing to go through. The last Discord comment comes from Yabtox, who says, "What are the panel's thoughts on the downfall of Sauron from leader of the White Council to attempted Hobbit bully and his eventual death? What an arc! Perfect yeah. arc. Perfect arc for that character. So pathetic. It's so sad. Uh, to be." one of the most powerful beings in the entirety of Middle-earth to being Sharky, <laughs> the Hobbit bully, 
to be killed by your henchmen in the end. And simply because you refuse to accept the hand that's re that reaches out to you multiple times right. on your way down. Grab any hand. Treebeard lets you out because you're that pathetic. You know, you try and stab Frodo and... He's like, no, don't. Well, Gandalf guys. tries to extend a hand first, right? Yes. When they first sack Isengard, come with me. I can help you, et cetera, et cetera. No, his pride is too great. And and it's not just it's not just his death. When uh when Wormtongue stabs him, he kills that body. But as we know from Gandalf's experience, these are immortal beings, right? These are this is not a this is not a human being whose spirit Fleas or whatever. Sorry. What? what? This is brand new information. What? What? Gandalf died and came back. Okay. Right. Yes. All right. Thank you. Okay. So now, so. Thank you for spelling it out for me. I'm slow. <laughs> Sar Saruman is of the same ilk. Okay. Right. Uh, so when he is killed, theoretically, his spirit can go back to uh, the, the undying lands and be given another body or whatever and, and reset. Well, he is stabbed and then this kind of wraith or mist or whatever this this gray smoke kind of comes up and is so pathetic and is so diminished that it doesn't have the uh the fortitude the wherewithal to even maintain itself and it just blows away with a, a gust of wind mm -hmm. and that's that is the end of saruman it's not the knife wound yeah that just got rid of his body the real death is what we see underneath and uh, you know it's very indiana jones right Yes. Um, <laughs> and he, he just, he just blows away like a cloud. That's how ephemeral he has become. Which taking that, I mean, I mentioned it as one of the greatest, he was, uh, Maiar, is that the correct phrasing? Yeah. Thank you. You know, to go from demigod to dust bunny is yeah. quite the fall. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that should have been the name of book six. <laughs> demigod to dust bunny. Yes. Yes. Ashes to ashes, demigods to dust bunnies. I'm always amazed that this, you know, these last four books takes place in like, what, a six week period? Four weeks? It's really not it's, very much time. Yeah, it's really quick. So for Saruman to fall that far that quickly, that's very yeah. sad. I, I would argue his, like, his descent starts when he tries to turn to Sauron, the Palantir, like, mm -hmm. And turns to evil. Like it's yeah, it denying. technically happens before this story ever begins. Yeah, his good point. Denies his his nature as a Maiar, and yeah. Uh, oh man, more more potential religious points to be made there, and I'm just gonna go past it because I think we've had enough of that today. <laughs> so, how about some stupid trivia? You're... Oh, great! <clears throat> All right, this is where I, I put on my elbow <laughs> patches. Uh, Ryan. Pop, yes. pop quiz, hot shot. <laughs> uh, the, oh, okay. Skull Moon was the site of a great battle. Not in the Lord of the Rings, by the way. Okay. Skull Moon was the site of which great battle? No, nothing? I'm pretty sure that is the third temple in Majora's Mask. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, I have no, no idea. The last great time war. From Doctor Who oh. takes place at Skull Moon. Okay. 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 So I only mention that because it has nothing to do with the story. But uh, when Sam is going into uh, uh, the tower of Kidderthungle, <laughs> and he sees he sees two what, liveries they're called, 
He sees the red eye, which we know is the sigil of Sauron. Sauron. And then there's also a moon disfigured with a ghastly face of death. So that's another sigil. So basically a uh, a skull moon. And that is the sigil of Minas Morgul. uh, Or possibly the Witch King himself. Okay. So you have uh, so you have the red eye of Sauron, and then the uh, the skull moon of the Witch King, which could also explain, which also explains somewhat of the battle inside that goes on uh, when Sam approaches. Right, because he goes in there; all, they're all dead. Already, right. So. Yeah. No, that's exactly yeah. what happens: is the two different factions kill each other. I was really concerned that you were trying to tie in Tolkien with. Time lords and stuff like that. That you were like, <laughs> you're gonna try and cross the universes here. You know, the, the Witch King was never just crossed the, ma- the streams. Was the master and you know whatever. And I'm, you know, there's a lot of Who fans who would really love that crossover, but I'm not sure I'm ready to wade into that at the moment. <laughs> no, I thought of that because um, I didn't think of it. It was pointed out to me because when I read that section, I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember this. And so I looked it up and turns out, yeah, it's from from uh, the Witch King. And so I just typed in to Google, uh, I, I typed in skull moon or skull and moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's where I found the Doctor Who tidbit. I thought you might like that. <laughs> uh, and then I also saw they have a bunch of images from the image search that comes up on the main page and a lot of like tattoos and whatnot apparently this is a whole thing that like the skull moon symbolizing death and all this stuff and it's this whole it's this whole thing um and there's some great tattoo art with skull moons so yeah you should go check it out hmm. so all right all right that's that's my that's my little tidbit uh, a little bit of trivia i guess do you guys want to know um where the where tolkien was at this point do you care about this still yes uh basically uh, here we go. I, I got to get back to where I was. Oh, yeah, that's right. I wanted to let you know a little bit about this. So August, or yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah, August through September in 1948. All right, so a few oh, wow. years post-war. Yeah, it took a long time to write this book. Yeah. That's when he was doing uh, The Land of Shadow, Mount Doom, The Field of Cormolin, et cetera, et cetera. Basically writing the end of the book. Book six happened within a couple of months in 1948. So he finishes the book and he's going to continue over the next uh, several years to work on the appendices and he's going to go back and rewrite, of course, and, um, and, and tweak it. But I thought it was fun that um, he, so he was asked for a, a sequel to The Hobbit and, you know, 10 years later, <laughs> he, he's turning in this manuscript yeah. and his publisher is like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Like, what? I asked for a sequel to The Hobbit, and you give me this? I was with you for the first hundred pages. You know, then this really went off the rails in an epic way, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so his publisher started kind of getting cold feet a little bit. So he went to Milton Waldman um, uh, over at uh, the publisher Collins and was going to jump ship. He went to Collins and said, will you publish my book? Because he wanted to publish it with the Silmarillion. Oh. Um, at the same time, right? You know, kind of as as a companion piece, and uh, his original publisher wouldn't do that, and so he went to Collins and he started negotiations with them, and basically like leveraged that, and and got his book finally got it published uh, where where he wanted or where they wanted. So anyway, um, so 
well, I, I should say Waldman over at Collins originally did tell him that, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to be able to do it. So, mm-hmm. but still, the, it, it's a little bit of kind of behind the scenes negotiation. I don't know exactly how it happened, but uh, there was a lot of wrangling just to get the book on shelves. So is that, now I feel dumb because I still haven't read the Silmarillion, but is that where all the, are all of the appendices that are at the end of the Lord of the Rings in the Silmarillion or were those just for so the we, sh- we i hmm, we're a few minutes out so oh, maybe okay. now's a good time to say i think we should do another episode on the appendices on the appendices Thoughts? does that mean i have to read all of them no i i will i'm very pick and choose about the appendices that's fine i okay. i will give you a reading list basically it's uh, okay. yeah anything that actually has prose read it don't don't read the pronunciation guides I mean, you can, okay. and I do, but <laughs> uh, anyway, what what was the question? What was I going to respond to? Oh, uh, where did the appendices come from? Yeah, so there was just a lot of the thing about what he was doing that nobody else had tried before was this concept of world building or as he called it, sub-creation. And along with that came all of the backstory, the Aragorn and Arwen. Why is this like... It's this thing that drives Aragorn. It, it is central to his character and it's almost nowhere to be found in the narrative, right? Yeah. He tried to work it in. He wanted to get it into the narrative, but uh, he kept finding that when he did so, it uh, it slowed things down, believe it or not. For those of you who think that Lord of the Rings is slow, <laughs> he says, no, this slows it down too much. It it doesn't fit. It, it, like, it doesn't mesh with the story itself. Yeah. So I have to cut it but it was very near and dear to his heart. And so he wanted to put it in the appendices. Well, there's also the fact that the uh, the great battles that are going on at Minas Tirith and the Black Gate, that's only a little bit of what's happening. There's also major battles going on in Lothlorien at the Lonely Mountain. And he wanted to give some background on what was happening there and the history of the dwarves and how they fit in with all this stuff. And you got you got to know a little bit about the Numenorians to find out why it matters that Aragorn is the, you know, 47th in line from Elros, the son of whatever, Erendil. So <laughs> sometimes I wonder if you fake not being able to remember just so you don't feel like it's just right on the tip of your tongue all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, son of Erendil. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's, I think that's why it's there is because he there's all this context and now like let's say let's use our other favorite um source you know brandon sanderson right we've got the the wave kings or what's that called stormlight archive, stormlight archive or, yeah. the, or uh, wheel of time or something nowadays there's this wonderful thing called the internet and authors can put stuff on the internet i've got a website where you can go and read about the backstory about this and yeah. uh, some notes of you know okay i'm gonna annotate warbreaker so you can read about my, my writing process there was nothing like that so if he wanted to do the world building thing and have it make any sort of sense, he's got to put it somewhere. Sure. So it goes in the appendices. Um, and I did a live stream, by the way, last week where I, I dug into the appendix where um, you can learn about the Elvish script. Oh. Tengwar. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Uh, so you can <laughs> learn all about how to write in Elvish. It's great. I think the appendices are wonderful and we should talk about them. So. Okay. So we will. Okay, so that probably gets us to the end of this episode. Do you guys feel like you have any final thoughts you want to share on 
on this book. Is that our first end? No. Do we have? Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I've, I've, I've said this uh, is the end, so we're gonna go for another eight minutes, and I'll say it a few more times. Uh, yeah, Ryan, final thoughts on your your second time through. I, I am very glad that we uh, tackled this again, and that I went through this one more time. Uh, it, I did have a greater appreciation for it on the second read through here. I, there's a part of me that wishes that I could feel and connect to it in the way that you and many others have. Yeah. Uh, I don't yet. Sure. I don't feel terrible saying that. I, no. Um, because it hasn't, it has not sang the song of my people to me the way that <laughs> others have. Nice. But that doesn't mean in any way that it is a diminished work or that I don't love it or see it as for the value of what it is in terms of fantasy. This, I do think that this is a, I'm going to say required reading for people who want to spend a good portion of your life in fantasy. You need to go through and read this. Uh, so, and absolutely, if you plan to write it, like, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. know its beginnings. There was a, there was a speech given uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was in Australia somewhere. Uh, this woman talked about writing fantasy and, and, uh, she hadn't read Lord of the Rings and hated it when people told her she had to because it was gatekeeping and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, but you should probably read the Lord of the Rings, you know? Yeah. He kind uh, of started the job. I actually, I actually want to riff on that a little bit and just say, look, I know I'm biased. If that wasn't clear, then <laughs> you haven't been paying attention. I know I'm biased, but I really do feel like it's not just... Uh, you know, if you want to be well-versed in fantasy, you got to read The Lord of the Rings. Now, this is a classic, a straight-up classic that can and should be read by anybody. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a huge fantasy fan or not. I think this is... Um, it's far more accessible than people give it credit for and uh, a lot more fun than people give it credit for and a lot more interesting than people give it credit for. I'm not okay. obviously not our audience. Our audience is enlightened and wonderful and give it all credit, all due credit, and et cetera. Amen. But, yeah. It's true. And praise be to the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, is I. Megan, final thoughts? Um, I just, I may not feel this way after the appendices one. So I just want to say thank you for inviting me because I had wanted to reread um, this novel for a really long time. And so thank you for giving me an excuse and for letting me talk about it with other people I think are super cool and have opinions I care about. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Uh, and thank you everybody for listening. So we will be back with one more, but with this being the final uh, of the six episodes, I want to thank you for joining us on the journey. The, the next one will be, well, an appendix to these ones. So uh, this is a lot of fun. If you enjoy, if you have enjoyed these episodes, then I've already talked about Patreon. I've already talked about Discord and all those places. I hope we see you there and I hope you support the show and all of that. Uh, but the the two things I would ask of you is if, if you liked these episodes, please go leave a review of the show if you haven't done so yet. Go on to, what's it called now? Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave a, a five-star review. Leave a good comment there. We'd love to see that. And share it. Go share it with your friends. Go share it in your Reddit forums. Go share it wherever. I, I would love to have your help getting the word out about these. I we had a lot of fun making them and i hope you had a lot of fun listening to them uh so thanks everybody and we'll see you for the appendix <laughs> <laughs>